Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. Producer Adam is joining me on today's show as him and I discuss John Woo's American directorial debut. That's right, gang. We are discussing Jean-Claude Van Damme's Hard Target, which actually just celebrated its 30th anniversary back uh, a few weeks ago. So this was kind of a fun one to dig into. And you know the routine by now. Adam and I are going to give you our thoughts on our favorite scenes, our favorite bit performances, give you some fun facts about the movie, and so much more. And if you check out the show description, we are going to drop to you a link on the Steven Seagal song that we discuss in this. It's You Have to Listen to It to Believe It. So I'm going to drop the Spotify link on that so you guys and gals can check that out. Definitely check it out at least once just to say that you listen to it. And it's always a good conversation starter at parties. So coming up next, the Couch Potato Podcast presents to you Hard Target. Jean-Claude Van Damme is hard to handle. How'd you like to work for me? Silver Star, Marine Force Recon. Hard to resist. Do you trust me? And even harder to kill. These bands will chase after you. Mad at you for business or pleasure? Both. Boudreaux is the target we're after. Hospital to be hunted. You tell me. From internationally acclaimed action director John Woo. Hard target. Rated R. You miss me. Starts Friday, August 20th at theaters everywhere. All right, we are back once again with producer Adam. We're going to talk some movies today. Adam, how you doing, my friend? How's things treating you? Well, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. Good. Ready to talk some movies, talk some film. A little little film talk. A little little film talk. Some uh, some fine film we're talking about today. Oh, dude, this. This movie is it should be shown in film schools across the globe. Um, when I was looking on the internet to try to find movies at anniversaries this year, you know, like '93 is a pretty kick-ass year for movies. Uh, we've done a few of them already. We've done Jurassic Park. We did The Fugitive. I think we've done a couple others. But uh, mm-hmm. I was looking. I was like, man, we there's In the Line of Fire was in '93. Uh, one of my personal favorites, The Good Son with Macaulay Culkins in 93. But uh, mm-hmm. as I was looking, come across a, a hidden gem of 93. This one kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, came out, I think, a week or two after The Fugitive, which yep. was a huge hit. Uh, I think it did like $180 million, which was an obscene amount of money in 93. But um, I was like, we need to revisit this. People need to know about this movie. And we're talking about the 1993 action classic, Hard Target, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Now, question I have for you. I know you were not on our Bloodsport episode, but uh, growing up, it seemed like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, who were the action heroes of the 80s, they were kind of the guys that were running the show, Seemed like they're starting to take kind of a step back, and there's this new crop of uh, contenders to the throne of the top action star. And uh, the two guys that were uh, pretty much considered to be the top contenders were 
Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Were you yeah. a Seagal guy or were you a Van Damme guy? Van Damme. Van Damme? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for yeah. me, I was a I was a Seagal guy for a little while because I thought mm-hmm. Seagal's first four movies were awesome. He did uh, Above the Law, Hard Target, uh, Under Siege. No, he did Out for Justice. Then he did Under Siege, which is another movie we need to do at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Damme, outside of Bloodsport, for me, didn't really hit a stride till around this time frame. Which, okay. I know for me, like then he like he uh, does this one. He does Time Cop. He does Sudden Death, another movie we need to do. <laughs> that goes in the sports movie Hall of Fame. <laughs> for those of you who don't know what hard uh, Sudden Death is, it's basically he plays a uh, disgraced uh, former firefighter who's working security at the Pittsburgh Penguins Arena, the Igloo during Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the vice president of the United States is in attendance for the game, and terrorists decide to kidnap vice president for a ransom, or they're going to blow up the whole igloo. And the only guy that can save him is Van Dam. Man, you got to love the plot lines of action movies. They're so great. Oh, dude, uh, this one's uh, perfect. And uh, this actually, you say this, this is a good segue into uh, kind of a new category where. Uh, I'm test driving for this. May, may not uh, stick with it, but I'm calling this category WTF is this all about? Something like that. Okay. What the fuck's this about? Because yeah. I know uh, yeah. some of the questions, I'm sure like not everybody listens to these shows have seen the movie, so uh, give you a brief synopsis. Uh, turns out in the uh, in New Orleans, there's a uh, group of rich gentlemen that are... Uh, running a little business down there where they're allowing other rich guys to hunt the most dangerous prey of all, humans. They're killing people for sport. These rich people are paying uh, our villains, Lance Hendrickson and Arnold Vosloo, a shit ton of money to hunt human beings. And to make it interesting, they're deciding to hunt homeless uh, military veterans. Because, yeah. I mean, let's be real. If it were you or I, I mean, I would be dead in five minutes, and what fun would that be? That's true. Um, well, I can barely run without, without breaking a sweat. No, dude, I'd be so. fucking winded. Like, hey, I would, like, seriously, like, time out. Time out. <laughs> and uh, they're offering these uh, homeless uh, veterans uh, money to get to, was, uh, yeah, get to the river, and if they were able uh-huh. to get to this uh, point, they'd be uh, set free. They'd quit hunting them. But, of course, we find out at the beginning of the movie, Guy doesn't quite make it to the river. Um, so his daughter decides to come into town to look for him. She can't find him. She finds out he's homeless. And then she hires Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is dirt poor eating gumbo in a restaurant. Uh, he saves her from being mugged and I think potentially sexually assaulted right in front of a restaurant. Yeah. Broad daylight. Cares about. Yeah. That is a, that's going to be a real shitty part of new Orleans to just let something <laughs> like that happen. And like, no one is there to stop it. Um, he hires or she hires him to help her find her dad. Come to find out, uh, 
police find her dad's body. So then Van Dam eventually helps her figure out what happened to her dad. And then, of course, you will guess by now, Van Dam's a former military veteran as well. Uh, Lance Hendrickson has taken a shine to him and decides that he is like the trophy of New Orleans. Like, this is their last hunt in New Orleans is to kill uh, Van Dam, And then, of course, that sets in motion the movie. So, hope I explained it and didn't jabber on too much. I was going to do the IMDb stuff, but, man, the people write these synopsis for the movies on here have no fucking idea what they're even saying. Like, um, <laughs> no, seriously, like, uh, as I was uh, looking on here, one person had... Uh, let's see. Let me go back to because I love reading the what they say about the movies on here, and like people try to summarize it. And of course, now I can't find it. Oh well, we'll go on IMDb. Look up the the plot points for uh, Hard Target. You'll find some good ones. Some people just completely like they go too in depth. Yeah, or they they, they just summarize the entire movie. Right, or they, you know, they they don't, like, one person just put, like, two words. It's, like, something about, like, a woman comes to New Orleans to find her homeless father. Uh, She gets Jean-Claude Van Damme's help, and uh, they're trapped in a cat-and-mouse game, and that's essentially what it is. A cat-mouse game of what? Cat-and-mouse game. Cat-and-mouse game. That's that's what it is. That's, That's WTF. Cat and mouse game. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, man, but uh, you ready to dig into this a little bit? There's really not oh, a lot sure. to talk about because I know uh, a lot of it we uh, can save for our fun facts. There's a lot of talking points in that, so I didn't really want to get into too much Van Dam versus Seagal. It, just, it seemed like Seagal hit a point where he, once Under Siege became a hit, he kind of became too full of himself and his movies really started to stink, and it seemed like the tide had turned. Of course, neither one of them got to the, the heights of Van Damme and Stallone, but they did give us some yeah. good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, and Seagal's kind of a garbage human being now, too. So, <laughs> uh, I got a text message from a friend of mine a few weeks ago. Uh, Steven Seagal has two full-length albums. And one of them, he's singing essentially reggae. What? I I must listen to this now just to be distraught. I'll do you one better. I will put the link to this song in the show the show description. Okay. So you can uh, yeah. just scroll all the way down. You'll see where you find our. Uh, or Facebook, or Instagram, or Twitter links, and at the end, I will put the Steven Seagal song in there, so that way you can listen to it for your own personal enjoyment. I'll I'll just provide the link to Spotify because I know Spotify's got a free a free tier. Sweet. So yeah, dude, it is it is something else. That's one thing uh, Van Dam does not have on Seagal is a, uh, a reggae song. That, that's true. That's a lot of a lot of action stars don't have a reggae song. That's right. I mean, yeah, I guess Peak Seagal would be his first four movies in the reggae song. Van Damme starts out a little slow after Bloodsport, kind of finds his stride as Seagal starts to go down the shitter. Yeah. Boom, we got it. 
All right. Well, let's let's enough of the Seagal versus Van Dam stuff. I mean, we got we're eventually we'll revisit under well yeah we'll check out Under Siege at some point. Okay. We'll, we'll do sudden death. We'll we'll come back to that discussion at some point. But um, the tale of the tape, uh, Hard Target was released on August the twentieth, nineteen ninety three. Uh, recently just celebrated its. Uh, yeah, thirtieth anniversary. It's hard to believe that movie came out that long ago. Yeah. Uh, this stars Jean Claude Van Damme, Lance Hendrickson, Yancey Butler, Arnold Vosloo, and Wilford Brimley. Uh, who is Wilford Brimley? Yeah, he does not have. Uh, he's not affected by his diabetes. In this one, no, no, not affected by diabetes anymore either. I mean. Kind of hard to be now. Yeah, because he's dead. <laughs> uh, this is directed by John Woo. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 60% from critics, and I found this hard to believe. Second movie in a row that you and I have done where the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was a lot lower than I thought it would be. 49% yeah. from audiences. I can see why in a couple of places, but... I, I really like movies like this, so I might be a little biased. This movie is in my wheelhouse. This is like yeah. some people like kind of cheesy horror movies, like 80s and 90s action movies, like psh, strap me and I'm fucking ready to rock and roll. <laughs> um, this movie made $74 million worldwide on a $20 million budget, so a little profitable. Uh, made some bank yeah. for Universal. Uh, surprisingly did not win any major awards. Although I will say that I think Lance Hendrickson and Wilford Brimley should have gotten some kind of consideration at least. And um, where can you watch this movie at? Right now it's not streaming anywhere, which I found to be a little surprising. I thought it would have been on at least the cock since it's a universal title, but it's not even on Peacock. Uh, but you can buy it on iTunes, Vudu, Amazon Prime, wherever you get your digital movies. So it's on there. Just got to buy it. Yep. The cock is not a hard target. No, it's not. But man, like, Peacock was on a run there for a while, and then, like, they've been slipping lately. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um,. We're calling this uh, the scouting report. Maybe for the movies, we'll come up with another category. But this is uh, what we call fun facts about the movie. Um, I'll give you. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to lead off with mine? No, well, yeah, you go ahead. Go first. All right. Uh, this was John Woo's first American film. Uh, for those of you that are film fans, he is a legendary action director in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, if you've not seen him, I highly recommend Hard Boiled and The Killer. Awesome action movies. Uh, probably some of the best of the whole genre, really. They're f- fantastic movies. But this is his first foray into uh, American movies. But uh, Universal was apparently worried that Wu's limited English would be a problem. So they brought in Sam Raimi of Spider Man fame and also Spider Man 2, which you can listen to on our show, wherever you get podcasts. Cheap plug of the show Um, they brought in Sam Raimi to oversee the production and even step in if uh, Wu needed to be replaced which I thought was like really really like okay you don't have enough confidence in your director 
I mean, he kind of is what he's doing. I mean, I grant I know the English should be a little tough, but still, yeah. I mean, it's John Wu for crying out loud. Um, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell was the original choice to play Chance Boudreaux, but apparently Kurt Russell was so busy that they would have had to have waited two years to do this with Kurt Russell. So they offered it to Van Dam next. Now, wow. how would you feel with Kurt Russell as Chance Boudreaux? I wouldn't feel too bad about it. I mean, I like Kurt Russell. I mean, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, and I mean, he, he's great. So, well, for those of you who don't know, my favorite actor of all time is Kurt Russell. Fucking love the dude. I think he could have pulled this off. I think he could have done a better Cajun accent than Van Damme yeah. does. Yeah, he, he definitely could have. And he's already got a mullet. I mean, Kurt Russell is in the movie Mullet Hall of Fame. So he easily yes. pull off the mullet. So I think he could have done this one. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, unfortunately, my notes got cut off, so I have to go to IMDb again to find uh, a couple of my other quick notes. And I just found this out right before we started recording. So, shame on me for not being more prepared. Um, but uh, I also was reading, and as part of my original notes, that uh, Universal thought the chemistry between Arnold Vosloo, who plays uh, Lance Hendrickson's uh, henchman pick, and Lance Hendrickson was so good that they wished they could have done a movie with those two together. Which, why didn't I you? Watched, yeah, I would have watched that all day. If streaming was a thing back in the 90s, I guarantee we would have gotten a uh, Fushan and Pick television show on, like, Peacock or something where it's just basically them, like, setting up, like, these hunts all across the globe. Yeah, I would have watched that. I would have watched the fucking shit out of it. Yeah, that would have been great. Um, The last one that I have is apparently... John Woo turned down face-off to do this one. Uh, his reasoning is he did not uh, didn't really have an interest in the science fiction aspect of face-off, mm-hmm. but he turns around and does it a few years later. <laughs> Which, excellent movie. I like it. I, I love face-off. Um, maybe it's part of my hot take later. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that is pretty much... All I had simply because there's not a whole lot. Well, I've got one more. Uh, originally, this movie was uh, rated NC-17, and they had to submit it to the Motion Picture Association of America seven times before they finally got an R rating. Yeah, that's actually a really good segue into some of mine. Well, um, hey, go right ahead. So, uh, yeah, the executives kind of... Um, were very particular about the movie. Um, and this isn't like hard fact. This is like just general knowledge. Um, the universal executives were basically horrified at the film um, on its first cut. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme didn't like how there weren't enough close-ups reportedly of him. <laughs> it was just too, uh, too many wide shots. Um, and then they also ordered lots of major edits to the film in order to tone down the violence, which, you know, got its R rating. Um, 
And I feel like if there were more violence, it would just be better. I I don't know. I I didn't feel like this one was too terribly violent, although I may be desensitized from pictures nowadays, but Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like for ninety three this is a kind of a violent movie, but yeah, like you look at it in the two thousand twenty three lens, it's like pfft. Fuck, yeah. they show that this stuff on uh eight or you know, like on FX or fucking yeah. Disney Plus. Although I don't know, we had uh, we had Die Hard before this one, and I mean we had Takagi's uh, brains splattered all over the wall and stuff. But mm. I don't know. I, I just felt like this one wasn't too terribly violent, but it, it could have just been Universal meddling, like uh, like they said they, that they did. Mm. Um, so uh, they actually um, also reportedly uh, prevent Wu from interfering. He uh, wasn't allowed in uh, the editing room uh, during the uh, post-production. They locked him out. And uh, apparently they also uh, did that to him during um, uh, Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> so Damn. Dude can't catch a um, fucking break. Well, of course... No. I mean, if you look at shit like Wind Talkers and they're like, okay, just do yeah. do whatever you do, and then like Wind Talkers is fucking just not very a very good movie. So maybe it's a good <laughs> thing they let they like, okay, John, you did the your part. Let us let us take it from here. Let us take right. it home. You just go do whatever. Find your next script. And um, my next fact is uh, they actually did use Sam Raimi uh, a little bit in the movie uh, during this time too, because he did rewrites to the script uh, in a couple of different spots. Uh, but he, Sam Raimi uh, wrote the entire opening sequence. So, Oh, did he? It's also probably, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's super cheesy. <laughs> well, I wish that I would have, like we would have done this movie sooner. Cause uh, I went to a, uh, a comic book convention in March and the big guest was Sam Raimi, and I sat in on a Sam mm -hmm. Raimi panel, and if I would have known about this shit, I would have asked him about Hard Target, because everyone was asking him questions about Evil Dead and Spider-Man, that's it. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, this fucking dude did the quick and the dead, and, you know, he's, he, like, why didn't someone ask him about For Love of the Game? Right, yeah. Or Crime Wave, something like that, but no, it's all Evil Dead or uh, Spider-Man, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, if I didn't know, I totally would have said something about Hard Target. Yeah, like, how'd you like writing the entire opening sequence of Hard Target where the guy dies? Thing? Well, it makes sense because the opening sequence when, like, he shoots the arrow and kills uh, Bender, mm -hmm. and, like, you show yeah. that close-up of that arrow spinning around, that's, like, that looks like a Sam Raimi shot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I half expected it to go through his head at the beginning because that's that's, that's Sam Raimi's style. <laughs> the problem I have with that sequence is, and I grant it, if he makes it, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the movie, but why didn't he just, like, fall in the river? Yeah, so that was my, I, you and I are, are thinking the same way. Like, he he actually made it to the river, technically. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, he gets shot in the chest. He's still alive. Granted, he may or may not have made it, but why fucking try to get up? Yeah. Why not just fall in the river? Did he need to go to the boat? They didn't specify that with John claude Van Damme at the end. 
No, they did not. Well, they they didn't give him the option to get through. They they were just going to fucking right. kill him. Like we're not paying right. you. We're just we want to kill right. you because you fucking up our game but here in they, town. They didn't give that option to Elijah either. They're just like make it to the river. They they don't they don't specify like if you have to make it to a boat or whatever. Dude, when so. he's like the one character in that movie, uh, Elijah, that I, I legitimately feel fucking sorry for. The whole movie, like, man, his whole story is like, oh, damn, dude. And, he, and then he, he just ends up dead. Yeah. Like, and nobody helped him. Ted Ramey doesn't even help him. Like, come on, Ted. You know, I was, I was all of uh, 44 years old when I realized that was Ted Ramey. <laughs> like I seriously did not know that was him until I fucking watched this uh, last week, and I, I hate the way yeah. he he tells you he has no change. He tries to like throw jive into it. Like, come on, dude! Like, you could have just said, "Because I ain't got no change, man." It's it's Nolans, you know. You gotta you gotta throw some jive in there. I don't know. That just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, come on, dude! You didn't have to go go all. all that just to tell him he doesn't have anything, but uh, we um, we segued off. But go ahead, uh, finish all your fun facts, okay. dude. Um. Uh. Well, not a good segue into this one, but uh, we're we're gonna jump to the end here, where uh, uh, Lance Hendrickson's uh, uh, catches fire. That's actually an accident. Uh, happened while they were filming. Uh, he threw it off and uh, continued acting, and so. They kind of edit, did some quick edits and put it in the film. He was, uh, you know, super into the character at the time, I guess. Uh, but he remained in, in character the entire time as Coke. So oh, such a so, badass. Yeah. <laughs> I always wondered, so though, why in that particular sequence his hair was soaking wet. Like, when I mean, they show the close-up of him. It looked like he had just got doused with a hose. I don't know if you've ever been to down to Louisiana, but if you're walking down there in any of the bayous or anything like that, you're going to be soaking wet, whether you're sweating or not. It's that humid. Damn. I have a, my wife has friends that are from that area, so I'll have to ask them, like, how muggy does it get down there? And show them a picture of, like, does it get this hot to where <laughs> this gentleman would look like he just got doused with a garden hose in an old like, outside. in a Mardi Gras graveyard. I mean, like <laughs> he he just walks outside. He doesn't have to shower because it's just he just gets completely wet. And that's well, if it's that hot, like they're all wearing fucking coats too. Which yeah, but then of course yeah, Van Dam's got to fucking strip down to like the fucking the wife beater. That's how it is. Like the bad guys always have to wear the black overcoats and have the black SUVs. And what were what was up with the uh, um, the motorcycle guys? Like they they were nothing. They they didn't serve any purpose other than blowing up or flipping over. I think they're like they stormtroopers. It's like okay, yeah. I was let these motorcycle dudes like eat one. It's like oh yeah, they look cool, so we're gonna let them be in the front and get picked off one by one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, last fact, um, the uh, chance to work with John Woo is one of the main reasons Lance Hendrickson and Arnold Rosloo decided to sign up for the film. So, yeah, I mean, I would have done it too because, like, I 
I actually didn't get introduced to his Hong Kong stuff until well after this movie came out. I had a friend uh, my senior year of high school that, like, really uh, got me into, like, different, like, movies from, like, you know, like, different countries. Like, he introduced me to, like, a lot of that Hong, like, the Hong Kong, like, action stuff. That's how I got introduced to John Woo and got me like into like introduced me to like a lot of indie stuff I would have never watched before. He's the dude that showed me Henry portrait of a serial killer, which to this day, like just that movie fucking just sits with you. It's a, it's a tough watch. And like, I, I've watched it once all the way through. That's about it. Yeah. There's a couple of movies in in the collection of movies that I've seen that I'm probably only ever going to see the ones. Yeah. That's just like, okay. Like, I've seen it. I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would have jumped at the chance to work with John Woo too. Like, you, I mean, not so much ninety three me, but ninety eight me, me. Yeah, like, oh, where do I sign up? Oh I'll, yeah. I'll take out the trash in this movie. I mean, any version of me probably would just to be in a movie, but. Yeah. And then afterwards, I would have I would have appreciated John Woo even. It would have been something I would have bragged about later on, like if I would have done ninety three. Like, yeah, I was in a movie, and then like ninety, I was in a John Woo movie. Yeah, see, you got to put that on there. You got a name drop. I don't, my shit don't stink now, so out the way. <laughs> All right, uh, the highlight reel. This is the scene of the movie that if you were showing this to someone that had never seen it before, this would be what you would put in front of their face to show them the awesomeness of this movie. So Adam, I will lead off with you. What would be the scene that you would show off to someone that's never seen this before? And there's a couple of different scenes and I can't pick between them just because, um, uh, they're all really, really good. Uh, the first one is going to be the the opening sequence like that. That just pulls you in. I mean, I really like, and I didn't know that it was Sam Raimi that had uh, written the entire thing before I, I watched it last, but um, it is pretty well done and it, the pacing's great and the action's there. And I, like I said, you, you feel like the entire time the arrow's going to go through his head, <laughs> like at any given point. Um, awesome scene. Uh, the second scene that I had was um, the scene with Elijah where they're hunting him. And then he's asking everybody for help, and then they just don't. Um, and then he gets a gun down in the street. That kind of sets the tone for the movie in a way, but it also still has that action that's kind of pulled from the beginning sequence. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, uh, I'm this is the third one, just because um, if I showed this to somebody, then they have no need to see the movie anymore because it's the it's the ending sequence. But man, that that sequence is so bad. <laughs> Uh, just everything's on fire. There's grenades. There's grenade launchers, shotguns, and like it's and bows and arrows. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, but like I said, it just kind of ruins the movie if I were going to show it to somebody. So probably one of the first two, and I, I can't decide between them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you and and listen to what yours is. Oh, for me, easily it's like the last twenty minutes of the movie. From the time, <laughs> from the time they. Like, they lose them on the bridge, which is actually mm-hmm. another cool scene where Van Damme, I don't know what the fuck, 
how they pulled this off, but it was awesome where he's like on the bike and basically the motorcycle is running without him like actually oh, yeah. hitting the gas. And then he, you know, does like where he shoots the car and does the barrel roll over the top. But from yeah. the time they get down to, uh, they uh, hop on the train, evade uh, Fushan and his uh, motley crew of uh, henchmen all the way to the end. Like, you get Van Dam and Yancey Butler in the woods, and you think that they're going, like, they're obviously meant to hook up. They look like they're going to hook up at some point in this movie. He tells mm-hmm. her to close her eyes, like, oh, he's going to plant a kiss on her. But, oh, no, I digress. A fucking snake comes out. He grabs the snake by the head, and then he slaps it. And that doesn't do the trick. So then he fucking cold cocks the snake in the head, knocks it out cold, and then bites the rattle off the rattlesnake and then puts it back. Like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to uh, stay here and be a weapon for us, even though it's a live animal and I can't control what it's going to do. But since I bit the rattle off, the bad guys are definitely going to get bit. Which does happen. (laughs) It does. That dude fucking gets it because he doesn't know. Uh, but yeah, he, he knocks out that snake and then you get to meet Wilford Brimley, who I think him and Van Damme are in a competition to see who has the worst Cajun accent in this movie, but at least you can understand Van Damme. I have no fucking idea what Wilford Brimley's saying in this movie. It just seriously, there was like, it's so good, so bad that it's good. There was a... There was a Cajun chef, like, back in, like, the 80s, there was this, like, huge run of, like, TV chefs. Like, it seemed like every few, like, every decade, there was always this run of, like, celebrity chefs. But in the 80s, there was Julia Child, and then there was this mm-hmm. guy named Justin Wilson. He was, I forget what his show was, but he was a Cajun chef. And they were always on PBS. Mm-hmm. And Justin Wilson had this really, really thick Cajun accent. And I think Wilford yeah. Brimley's trying to channel that, but then, like, I have no idea what he's fucking saying. Like he, There's a scene where he shoots an arrow to hit his uh, moonshine still, and he says something that, like, I have. He goes, home bolt called day ball, and he shoots his arrow, and it fucking... It lights his still on fire, and then it blows up. You know, we're, we're, I'm going to rewatch that scene after we're done recording here. I'm going to turn on closed captioning. We're going to figure out what he says. Oh, yeah, please but. do. But I have I have no idea. But that's also part of the charm <laughs> of it. It's like he could be saying absolutely anything. It's a, I want to talk to you about your diabetes. He could be telling uh, – yeah, he could be telling catering, like, hey, listen, like, I have – he may have just muttered, <laughs> I have diabetes. I need something – to eat once we're done filming a scene that will not affect my diabetes at all. <laughs> he could have said that. And then like, outside of that, like I, I kind of piece it together because I've seen this movie so many times, but um, yeah. But then after you, you meet uncle duvet, you go into that Mardi Gras graveyard, Lance Hendrickson just decides to dial it like, all right, he's like, I'm at like an eight. I just need to, this, this is the end of the movie. I got cranked this bad boy to ten, and like he just lets loose. Yeah. And yeah, then the eight is when he 
when he's talking to Pick and he's like, I want to take him on the ground. And then, like, they get to that Murray graveyard and he's like, all right. Well, when is you, now. you said that scene where his coat's on fire, he, like, takes the coat off and yeah. then, like, they do this thing where they, they spin the camera around and he's just, like, yelling. It's like he does, like, the reverse Andy Dufresne after he gets out of Shawshank. Yeah. But he's pissed off about it instead of being, like, happy that he's out. Yeah, like looking back at it now, because part of that was accidental and his uh, coat caught fire. Like that, that cut and that turn was probably the way they edited it in and make it part of the movie. Which you know, I'm all for it. Mm. It's it's good. <laughs> and for the the grand finale, I will go on record as saying right now, this has the best use of the word "whoop" in a movie. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, there's a scene where uh, Van Damp the, like drops a grenade down his pants. He gets the grenade and he tries to unscrew the fuse from the grenade, and he thinks he's got it. And then he has he still has the fuse too close to the actual grenade. And then like he sees the, the connection make, and he goes whoop, and it blows him up. <laughs> To this day, that's like when I drop something or I, you know, like a whoopsie moment. I go, whoop, <laughs> based on that. 30-some years later, I'm still keeping it alive. Yeah. But that's that would be the scene that I would show off to people. And yeah. if it were on TV, I'd, I'd like, okay, like Hard Target's got 20 minutes left. We're sticking around and watching the end of it. See, the only reason I didn't pick that scene, and, I mean, we can go with that scene because we both had it, but. After you watch those scenes, you don't need to see the rest. <laughs> That's true. However, if they listen to this episode, they'll pick. Yeah. They'll like, okay, there's like, I need to go revisit that that scene where, uh, yeah, Elijah gets shot in the streets. I need to go back yeah. and see that scene where Natasha's dad almost makes it to the uh, yeah. the river. I have to see that slimy. Uh, porn peddler get his ear cut off. <laughs> Randall, right? Yeah. Randall, 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 Randall. And that's the thing that Pick does. Like he is, uh, he says like two people's names like three times in a row. Yeah. Because then like when they're yeah. in the the graveyard, he goes Boudreau, Boudreau, Boudreau. Yeah, man, he's so like, I I don't know what it is about Arnold Bosley, but he, like I don't think I could see him as anyone. Other than a villain in a movie. <laughs> I'd like to know what the fuck happened to him. Like, I figured for sure he would take off after the mummy. And, like, it seemed oh, like yeah. he dropped off after the mummy. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. Like, I mean, the second one wasn't amazing or anything, but it was still good. And just kind of didn't do anything after that fizzled out. Well, he had done... Like, he was, uh, they did a, a, Sam Raimi did a comic, uh, a superhero movie in 90, or 91, I forget what year it was, but it's called Dark Man. It's about a scientist who's coming up with this technology to recreate human skin, and he ends up getting, um, like, mobsters end up blowing up his lab. I mean, basically, his project works, but only works for a certain amount of time, so you could put on, like, a new face. It's kind of like Mission Impossible, with their face technology. Yeah. 
but it only works for a certain amount of time. It works for like 30 minutes or something like that. But it was a really awesome movie, and then they made a bunch of direct-to-DVD sequels, and Arnold Vosloo played the Liam Neeson character in like two or three sequels to that. Then he was in this. He was in the Mummy movies. And then like just nothing happened to him. Yeah. Like, I, to actor, me, but... if you needed like... I'm honestly surprised he never showed up as like the vil- like the number two in a Die Hard movie. Yeah, or even like the the main bad guy in like Die Hard or uh, Mission Impossible or something like that. Like he, I don't know if he's I don't think he's good enough to be a Mission Impossible villain, but like a number two in Mission Impossible, I wouldn't put him as like the yeah. the main villain. But like he's like that second like the guy that does all the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Perfect, maybe, maybe perfect wheelhouse the wrong way then, because if he's a good second and he's not a good main villain, and I I couldn't see him as anybody other than the villain. That's probably why he fizzled out. Yeah, could be. I don't know. Like we should have looked up his IMDb. I didn't think that you would be on the Arnold Vosloo appreciation bandwagon like I am. Had a lot oh, of stuff. Arnold Vosloo is great. If Arnold Vosloo was a baseball card or a baseball player, I would yeah. own a lot of his rookie cards. Oh yeah, for sure. But I digress. So, are we going with the uh, the last twenty, thirty minutes of the movie is the best part of the movie? Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, uh, this is the category that I've been looking forward to the most when we decided to do this movie. The Paul Walker, I said, forget about a cut award for the most unintentionally hilarious, awesome, or bad line of the movie. Um. Yeah. I will let I'll let you go first, just because I want to hear what you have to say. But I've got a couple that. Okay, are we counting uh, Wilford Brimley's incoherence? Uh, that's yes. on my that's list. Of- that's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one, uh, and uh, I like Whoop as well. That's um, also on there one too. Of my, one of my favorites is uh, I know you didn't mean to hurt my feelings. It's just such a cheesy line. Because he repeats it to everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I know you didn't mean to hurt my feelings. Oh, yeah, when he gets, like, <laughs> real flirty with the, the New Orleans cop. Yeah, and then and then he also uh, uh, says it to, um, oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about uh, Pick. Is, is that, did he say it to her? Did he say it to her, too? Oh, no, I th- Van Damme makes, like, kind of a, a, I think he says something about two, but no, yeah, Pick says it twice. Yeah, Rick says it twice. Love it. Love love how he just it it just adds to his character. Mm-hmm. Him him and um uh Lance Henderson like it's so good. Their uh their chemistry together was great and uh Arnold Vosley's chemistry with everyone else was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I had to put that in there as a contender. But yeah, those are my three. I don't have any more after that. Okay. Um, I, I have just about, uh, I have a couple, like we said, I have, you know, the Wilford Brimley incoherent, uh, (laughs) rambling. Um, but my personal favorite is the, uh, when Natasha and Chance are in her car for the first time and they're trying to get Mm -hmm. to know one another. He, basically ask what her name is and she says it's Nat. And oh, he yeah. says you're 
he asked her, like, your parents named you after a bug? And she says, no, it's, it's short for Natasha. And she says, well, what kind of name is Chance? He goes, because my mama took one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i laugh every time i see that because he says it was such a straight face too good because my mama took one and i uh, runner up is when uh van dam goes to that warehouse to find the dog tag mm-hmm. and those two guys like jump him yeah and then that one the they're both greasy looking fellas, but the real greasy one that actually has the lines of dialogue. Yeah. When he basically tells them to get, like, they need to scram. And he yeah. says, for some re- reason, he goes, Tell that girlfriend of yours, pull her tits up north. Get the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> that was another good one, too. I totally forgot about that one. I laughed so hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, I. They still it's, rock. It's been so long since I've seen this movie. And then, like, when that scene came up, I was like, oh, yeah, he says something super funny. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, a lot of good stuff in here, but I am inclined to give it to Whoop because out of all the things that someone could say when they've got a fucking <laughs> a live grenade in their hand and he just goes, Whoop. <laughs> Love it. And he um, says it yeah, like um, someone that has just spilled fucking, like, they're getting milk out for their kids and they accidentally spill some of it on like the, the countertop or the stove. It's like, whoop, <laughs> no sense of urgency at all. Like, okay, this is like, he says no. like, Oh, this is going to work itself out. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> Boom. Love it. I, I, I'm good with giving it to whoop. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's see what we got next. Um, the McLovin Award for the most impactful supporting performance of the film. I I think I know who your nominee is going to be just because you've spoken so highly of him throughout the movie. I don't know if you could give it to him because he's he's I I consider him one of the leads of the movie. He he is one of the leads, so I I want him to win it, but he's not one of my contenders. Uh, I'm I'm putting up for nomination Wilford Brimley's Uncle Duvet. He's only in the movie for like six minutes. I am in 100 percent agreement with you. I just want to uh, throw out an honorable mention to uh, Elijah. Uh, he's he's just a sad character, and he needs he needs a little bit of recognition. So. Uh, dude, he dude he his story like it really fucking bums you out watching that. It's like okay, you know, like uh, he he's resorted to like passing out like the little smut pamphlets. Yeah. And then, like, you just, like, he has a sadness in his, like, he just, dude, just really brings me down whenever I see him in the movie. And now every time well, I've watched a, it since then. Yeah, he's a damn, he's a, a fine man. It's, like, I hate seeing that happen to him. Like, whoever cast him in that role, like, fucking bravo. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, he'll, he'll go around to all those people, like, asking for help, bleeding. Like, he's shot, and he's like, hey, please help, call the police. Everybody's just, like, Bits on him, and you know, so it's gonna get out of here. Yeah, it makes That's you wonder like, thing. you don't notice the guys in the fucking like the BMWs like following this guy around. That's one of the main things that I had a problem with in this movie, other than the fact that, um, um, 
what's his name Bender got to the uh, the river was there seemed to be no cops, and the one cop didn't well, care that they, much. They have pointed out uh, the cops are on strike. Okay, uh, and they pretty much own most of the police department. That's true, but even so, they so, wouldn't have been like, any help anyways. Nobody seems to care either. Like it's New Orleans. It doesn't seem like New Orleans to me either. It it seems like some other Western town. They have like the architecture of the French Quarter a little bit, but other than that, it just seems like you know an old West town with neon lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People are like, "Get out of here! I'm not helping you, dude's bleeding." Oh what man, kind of you got is this? You got blood all over my fucking brand new shirt. Actually, now that you're oh, saying no, it, I'm, this... <laughs> I'm looking yeah, to see it, where they it, shot this at. It probably wasn't Nora. No, it's probably fucking Vancouver. Uh, no, uh, shot on location in New Orleans. Including oh, wow. sequence shots in the French Quarter. Okay, see, I can tell that there are French Quarter buildings, but even so, it just it does not strike me as New Orleans. That's surprising. Right. Maybe 1980s New Orleans and 1990s New Orleans is just super different than. Well, yeah, you've got. New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, I've. The New Orleans thing's coming up. Like, I may have a good question about New Orleans. Um, okay. But uh, I, for me, it would either be Wilford Brimley. Um, I don't like his character, but he plays it very well. Um, Randall, the fucking smut peddler, yeah. the guy who passes out the, oh, yeah, yeah. the porn pamphlets. That guy looks like a dirty grease ball. Like, he just looks like the type of guy that hasn't showered in three days, and when he does, it doesn't really oh, yeah. do anything for him. Yeah. Because he wears sweaty um, clothes. He he reminds me of, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wayne Knight's character in uh, Toy Story 2. Oh, just Alf Mouse Toy Bar? Looking. Yeah, just like Cheeto dust and sweat and nasty... Yeah, just slob. <laughs> yeah, slovenly. Yeah. Um, but I would give him strong consideration, too, just because I don't like the guy. And he, like, yeah, to no. me, like, if I don't like you, then I think you're doing a pretty good job in your movie. I also didn't like the fact that his head didn't, like, blow up or look like it had gotten a shotgun uh, pointed at it. At point blank range. I will say that that's that shot still in 2023 still fucking grisly to see. Like that's pretty violent. For oh yeah, like having the the windshield break and the blood go everywhere, super grisly. But his head would definitely not be on his shoulders. Right. <laughs> but um, it is. So. I'm I'm giving it to Brimley. I mean, if you have any. Because oh, actually, yeah, no, we can't give man. it to Arnold Vosloo because he's in it too much. Right. I would give it to Arnold, but no, we're, I'll, I'll go with Wilford Brimley. Yeah, either that or that fucking biker dude that says, tell your girlfriend to pull her tits up north, just for saying something like that. 
<laughs> Never in a million years could I come up with a line. I would dare say that, but even if I, I did, like I would never come up with anything like that. Yeah, no. All right, well, Wilford Brimley, God rest your soul. And you know, speaking of him, I forget they showed a a, a comparison of him and Paul Rudd are the same age when uh, Wilford Brimley looks exactly the same when he did Cocoon as Paul like. And he looks like he's fucking 80. But well, uh, Paul Rudd was the same age as him during Ant-Man. It looks like he's 20. Huh. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck Man. they did in, like, for people that were born in, like, the 40s and the 50s. But, man, like, the, the people of the 80s just look like they have lived a hard fucking life. It's all the uh, nuclear tests from... Uh... Out west, and you know, smoking and drinking and drugs. Mm. It's, I feel like you know people were able to party more hardy back then. Yeah, a lot of cocaine in the eighties. It's probably a, a dead trick. Um, next category is the Welcome to Dumpsville Population You Award for the performer that you'd recast. Um, you know, the only person I could think of is like Yancey Butler. Really, just doesn't do anything. Oh man, you and I are just like on fire oh, tonight. I have that. I literally have that on my on my notes right here. Yeah, they they've cast this movie pretty spot on, but the female lead, she's, like, yeah, she's not good. And like, I the slow mo shots of her looking surprised are just, I I hate them so much. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, this might work better. Like, give. Uh, like a young up, I'm trying to think of somebody that would be like kind of big a few years later, like maybe like Julianne Moore. Corny Weaver was uh, big during that time. I well, guess. I, I think that'd be in too big. She would be a bigger star than anybody in that movie. That's true. You couldn't put her in there and then expect everybody else to have top billing. Yeah, like an up, like an up and coming actress that would like kind of be big later on, like you know, like a, what. Or a few years away from Gwyneth Paltrow, or uh, right on the cusp of Julianne Moore blowing up. So if someone like that, or just cast a um, no name. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody. Um, or get someone from like TV, but I don't know. Yancey Butler yeah. just kind of she but. tries. She she gives gives it her all. Just it's not working. It just I don't think she fits too good in this. No. Now, if Yancey Butler, if you're listening to this show and you want to come on and explain yourself, by all means, I'll I'll ask you the hard-hitting questions, like, why the why the face? But outside of that, though, like, that would be... I'm trying to think, was Julia Robertson anything... Yeah, she was... Like, she, this is... She had already done Pretty Woman. She was pretty much... Uh, she had taken the championship belt as America's sweetheart from Meg Ryan at this point. Okay, because I yeah, Pretty Woman I thought was like after Hard uh, Target, but maybe not. Uh, Pretty Woman's like 90, 91. Okay. Yeah, so like you know, there's uh, Meg Ryan, there's Julia Roberts, Demi Moore is still Demi fairly Moore, yeah. big. She's coming off a Ghost a few years before that, so yeah. I'm thinking like actresses that got like kind of big in like the late '90s, mid to late '90s. 
you know. Somewhere in that neighborhood. But anybody would be better than, than Yancey Butler. <laughs> maybe I will dress and drag and be the female yeah. lead in hard target. Just to say I was in a John Woo movie. It would have been just as good as if not better. So Yeah. I can I can act. I can act. Not really. Yeah, you can you, you can be surprised and, and then like you can be mad that uh Wilford Brimley gets stabbed. That's pretty much the extent of what she had to do. Mm. Oh yeah, and pretend pretend to uh want to be kissed. But I yeah. don't know if you wanted <laughs> I don't know though. I've been pretty scared chill so a fucking snake was slithering up. Um I was gonna say uh, the next category is the unsolved mysteries of the movie movie or questions that we have that just never get resolved in the movie, but I think you and I have already pretty much answered like why didn't Bender just like fall into the river when he fell through the bridge? Yeah. Don't get why. You're right there. Could have just floated to freedom. And, I mean, you're pretty much in a no-win situation anyways. I think you may have stood a better chance in the water. It's, like, it's, it, that water is nasty looking, too. I bet nobody would have been able to see him if he just dived underneath. Yeah. Yeah, because he's a Marine, if I'm not mistaken. So He was, yeah. I think he could have made it. They chose not to. He chose yeah. to fucking pull himself up like a fucking idiot. Um, not really an unsolved mystery, but why is it always a trope that the bad guy has to uh, play piano in a scene and play like a really hard um, piece with a lot of runs, and then they get a guy that doesn't actually know how to play piano, so they're filming the piano from the back, and then having him go, like, you know, pound the keys. And... Oh, yeah, you could tell in that scene that Lance Hendrickson had no fucking clue what he was doing. <laughs> it's like, okay, Lance, what I want you to do is just, like, act like you're striking these keys. I don't give a fuck how you do it. We've got it playing in the back. We'll, we'll dub it with this particular piece. Yeah. We got the music park to take care of. Just, just act like you're playing piano. And that's true, though. It's like, a menacing bad guy's always got to have a grand piano, yeah, somewhere, and he's got to play it. Just some uh, a trope of of him, like any any action movie. The bad guy has this like opulent mansion, and then he's got some piece in the middle of that mansion that says eccentric, mm-hmm. like it, it's a big fish tank or a piano or something. And they have to listen to I guess, like, I you guess know, classical music or an obscenely yeah. large statue. And he's got art, art yeah. pieces or uh, like the rich dude in Ace Ventura when Nature Calls has that uh, room of like fucking uh, taxidermied heads. Yeah, it's just some eccentric piece that says, "Hey, I'm rich, and this is what I waste my money on." Yeah, it's like I have always been of the belief that if you're crazy, you're crazy, but if, if you're, well, if you're poor and crazy, you're crazy, but if you're rich and crazy, you're eccentric. Right. <laughs> and that, it is, that's it's how you know in. a rich guy is a bad guy. He's got some fucking weird shit in his house. <laughs> or he's doing something really yeah. weird. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's, it's like the difference between the word murder and the word assassination. It's just, you have to be an important person to be assassinated. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're 
fucking Elijah. He just like he got killed in the street, but through Sean, he was assassinated by a grenade. <laughs> All right, new category I'm introducing. I'm gonna test, give this a test run, see how, see how this this runs. Maybe a hit, maybe not. Um, the most 1993 moment of this movie. And I figured that we would do this, like, the year the movie came out, we would just, like, what's the most 90, you know, like, of that year, what's the most obvious moment of that movie? Like, this year, 93, I've got a few categories here. The obvious one is the use of payphones. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, The use of a typewriter to file a police report instead of a word processor or computer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the 1991 Chevy Camaro that Hansi Butler drives. Yeah. Or passing out porno flyers in the streets. I'm I'm gonna have to give it to the last one, but I would I would also like to uh, point out that that POS that um uh the I forget his name was it Robert. Um. Who's at the the the. Randall, Randall. Yeah, the Randall's slime, the slime ball. I only know that because uh, Vosloo says his name three times to make sure Randall, you know who this Randall, dude Randall, is. Randall, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, his POS that he drives, like, oh, that's... that is a fucking shit box. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the drop top and the way the windows are, and just how he pulls the window to to shut it, and you can tell the window is one of those roll down ones where you have to crank it. <laughs> yeah, that's Super true. <laughs> but yeah, I would say probably the porno flyers too, because like nobody, yeah. no one uses porno flyers anymore. Like it's yeah. all on. You could fuck. You can watch porno on your phone for crying out loud. It's it's free on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need flyers anymore. Although I so. will say that the like I was taken aback by when she had the police report on a typewriter. Cause I think computers oh, yeah. were, yeah, they handily available in 93. They were, yeah. Like, uh, computers had been, uh, pretty big in many offices for like at least 10 years at that point. I, but I went to elementary school in the eighties. I had fucking Oregon trail readily available in my classroom. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up like learning DOS commands. So, I mean, I remember that stuff. Well, we're not all as smart as you, Adam. I bet half people listening don't even know what you just said. Like, but oh, like, God. Yeah, these... you, know, you, were, you remember how you would have to start a game like by typing the name oh, yeah. of the game? Like, yeah. Oregon Trail slash backslash start. And... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, somebody's going to listen. Yeah, I... <laughs> Just looking at the demographics of this show, though, like most people have no idea what you and I are even talking about. No, probably not. They put porno numbers on <laughs> pieces of paper. What's a typewriter? What's, what's paper? Yeah. <laughs> All right, another uh, fairly new take. We talked about doing this a few weeks ago on our. Uh, I think there's something about Mary episode. Uh, hot off the skillet takes. Uh, you got any hot takes on this movie? Because I have one. Um, it's it's not really a hot take. It's more of an opinion. Uh, this movie is is bad, but it it treads that line of 
um, believability and and uh, just cheesy action to where it's like, okay, I don't care if this is unbelievable. I like it. It's fun. <laughs> That's my hot take. Like, there's a lot of moments like that, especially like when uh, they're doing like the slow-mo and a couple of the points I brought up, like nobody's helping this guy in the middle of the street that's saying, please help me. But it doesn't matter. I mean. I ain't if, got no change, man. <laughs> if uh, if anybody addressed my issues with the movie like that, then um, the movie wouldn't be no good. So it's so bad that it is good is my hot take. All right. Well, John Woo uh, doesn't have a huge catalog of films he's done in the United States. He has done Hard Target, Broken Arrow, Face Off, Mission Impossible 2, Wind Talkers, and Paycheck. Everything else uh, has been made in Hong Kong. But my hot take of the movie is... I think Hard Target's his best American movie. Hmm. I really like Face Off. I do like Face Off, but in terms of rewatchability, if you give me the option to watch Face Off or Hard Target, I'm going to choose Hard Target every time. For one thing, we've talked about it already. It's perfectly cast outside of the female lead. Um, I can't really envision... Anybody else really doing this? Maybe Kurt Russell could have done uh, the Boudreaux character. Um, yeah. Plus, it's only an hour and a half long. I mean, it's it fucking flies right by. Face Off, I think, is yeah. closer to two hours. Yeah, I've always been um, a very big advocate of uh, if you don't need to make a movie unnecessarily long, then don't. Like it's a good it's a good hour and a half. Yeah. Like it's it's not a bad hour and a half. If they would have like kept in whatever John Woo wanted and made it like two hours long, if it was a bad half hour, then you know, it would have been a worse movie for it, I think. Yeah, well but, the thing with face off is like I really don't like the stuff with Gina Gershon and her son and Nicolas Cage's mm-hmm. character. I think that stuff just gets to be a little too sappy for me. Yeah. I mean, I get it. it it's kind of like, okay, they lost their son and everything's come full circle. They lost mm-hmm. their son because of Nicolas Cage's character and basically they're adopting Nicolas Cage's son to become a better version of him, whatever. I just, I don't know. Some of that shit just like, okay, we could do without it. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, you make a valid argument. I think, yeah, Hard Target would probably be the one I, I would take over face off. Yeah, I but, mean, he starts out really yeah. good, though, because he does uh, Hard Target, Broken Arrow, which I fucking love. Like, is John Travolta hamming it up like nobody's business? He, like, I think he basically <laughs> created the Sean Archer character, or the Caster mm-hmm. Troy version of himself based on this character in uh, broken arrow. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get it's we're recording late. I don't want to get too confused with the Tra- Travolta <laughs> plays cage cage plays Travolta, whatever. But when Travolta yeah. becomes or cage becomes Travolta, like that version is basically a continuation of his character in uh broken arrow. 
Yeah. But then it, like the wheels kind of fall <laughs> off when he, once he does Mission Impossible too, and yeah, he did paycheck. That was that when Affleck was just on that absolute roll of absolute turds. <laughs> but yeah, that's my that's my hot off the skillet take. That is, I think Hard Target is John Woo's best American film. Keep that in mind, well, American film. I did not say it's his best movie. Right. Nothing he's made here in the states will defeat anything he's done in Hong Kong. Yeah. I now I'm pretty much like 90 I was 90% behind you before. I'm 100% behind you now. So if you if you present that argument to anybody else, I'm pretty sure that uh, that it wins. So Oh no, somebody's like, "Well, you know, he made so much money at the box office and <laughs> whatever." Our fucking it was show. only $20 million budget, so... Yeah. Made this Fine. on the cheap, goddammit. <laughs> and it made money. Profitable film. It did. Um, last category before we wrap things up is the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll present to you a uh, series of uh, questions with this particular question. Would uh, they make the Hall of Fame? For this particular uh-huh. uh, category, uh, would this go in the Jean-Claude Van Damme Hall of Fame? Yes, 100%. I think it's kind of on the cusp. I think for him, Bloodsport is a definite. I think yeah, no, Universal Bloodsport. Soldier is yeah. a definite. I would say um, Time Cop is a definite. I think Time Cop, is, in terms of his acting, is the best movie he's ever done. Outside of that okay. JCVD, but no one but like 15 people seen that. Uh, um, so we got Bloodsport, we have Universal Soldier, we have Timed Cop. I'm putting Sudden Death in there because that movie's fucking awesome. And not mm-hmm. too many movies about hockey, let alone a fucking action movie about hockey. F- fucking sold. <laughs> and Van Damme plays um, Goaltender, which blows my mind that like no one knew that mean- a fucking firefighter was a goaltender. How about Michael Scarn and his his movie? Okay, that was about hockey. Oh, dude, and that, it was an action movie. Well, if we're doing hockey movie <laughs> Hall of Fames, that would definitely be in there. <laughs> definitely be in there. I would say if you're putting five of his movies in, then the Hard Target would be the fifth. I'm probably leaving something out that I yeah. shouldn't be leaving out, but I would say no, it would be those five. It's well in the top. It's well in the top five for me. So. I'm 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 100 behind it being in the Hall of Fame for sure. Um, would this be in the John Woo Hall of Fame? I said no. No, because I don't uh, think so either. I I think I my hot take was that this is his best American film, but mm-hmm. between uh, Hard Target or not Hard Target, but Hard Boiled, there's the Killer, uh, some of his mm-hmm. other Hong Kong stuff. Um, Face-Off would have to be because it's probably his most notorious film or his most well-known film here in the United States. So I would say it doesn't, even though it's his best American movie. I don't think that anything he did in America is anywhere near some of the stuff that he's done in Hong Kong. So It seemed like after um, Paycheck, because that's the movie he... I think that's the movie he did after... uh, Mission Impossible 2, it seemed like he just kind of fell off the map. Like, he made one more movie here in the United States, and that was it. 
Oh, yeah. I can't think of any. Yeah. Um, couple more here. Uh, New Orleans as a movie setting. No. Um, I mean, like I said, I didn't even know if it, I, I didn't even know it was New Orleans. Like it didn't, it wasn't recognizable to me. I'd been there. I've seen what it looks like, and it it didn't. Even though it, it was shot on location, I was like, okay, that looks like the French Quarter, but it doesn't look like the Orleans. So no. All right. I don't think I don't think you think New Orleans when you uh, mention Hard Target either. Like, yeah, it's the setting, but it's not like you know. I immediately remember that it's set there. I don't even see, uh, like, I can't really think of any movies that are set in New Orleans outside of this one. And I'm probably missing, like, I know I'm really shit in the bed on this research for this, but the only ones I could think of are like The Big Easy. It was like a a mm. movie of Dennis Quaid back in like '86. New Orleans. Um, um. Princess in the Frog. Oh, there was a... All right, I just pulled it up here just to be... Just so I can have a, a listing. Um, mm-hmm. There's the Big Easy. It's got Dennis Quaid. Uh, Bullet to the Head with Sylvester Stallone, which I completely forgot about. Is a Sylvester Stallone movie till just now. Uh, I have never heard of Cutthroat City. Uh, now you see me. That was oh, a pretty yeah. big hit. Yeah. Uh, bad Lieutenant, the port of called new Orleans with Nicholas cage. Uh, that movie is fucking crazy, but it's awesome too. Um, deja vu with, uh, the, uh, Denzel Washington, the incomparable Denzel Washington, uh, queen and slim. I still haven't seen that one. Benjamin button. I would say it would probably be in the Hall of Fame. So that's such a huge movie. Yeah. The Cincinnati Kid with Steve McQueen. I oh, I haven't seen that one in forever. Uh, Girls Trip. That movie is actually really funny, but I don't know if it makes the Hall of Fame. Cause... No. Yeah, there's no. The Princess and the Frog. Oh, Easy Rider, for sure. Easy Rider is mm-hmm. definitely in there. Uh, Down yeah. by Law. Streetcar Named Desire, Yes. And then interview mm-hmm. the vampire, yes. So yeah. there's yeah. the hard target's not cracking cracking no. that. Um another one. Uh people hunting humans for sport. Yes, this this definitely makes that Hall of Fame. I know there's plenty of movies where uh people are getting hunted for sport, but this one is uh this one's up there for me. And that just might be my opinion, but well, the only two movies that I know of that have that as a theme are this, and then they did Surviving the Game that had pretty much like a murderer's row of B actors hunting Ice Cube. Yeah. Or Ice T. It was uh, Rudger Hauer, F. Murray mm-hmm. Abraham. Uh, yeah. Just a killer list of. I think Gary Busey's in that too. Um, mm-hmm. These are the only two movies that I know of. And I don't want to look it up on uh, Google because I don't want. My like someone to flag my resu- search results like people being hunted for sport movies and think that I'm like trying to arrange some kind of shell game here in my local town like oh he's trying to get something going down there. Um, Technically, Predator is one. 
Well, the, they're being hunted by an alien, though. Like, not like yeah, a human being. The predator's not going to hunt them to eat them. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's like a alien hunting for sport, definitely predator, like, takes the cake. Yeah. Pre- I even put yeah. predator two and probably predators and prey yeah. well above hard target. But that's an alien hunting humans, like, not a human being, like, paying to hunt oh, somebody. Okay. All right. Um, I do remember, I think, now, I don't know how long, how long it's been since you've seen this movie or if you've even seen it at all, but I'm pretty sure it's Man of the House where somebody dresses up like a Native American and a uh, rich guy uh, decides he wants to kill him. Is that the Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yeah, and Chevy Chase. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm looking it up now. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was all, that was from like ninety two, <laughs> ninety three. But you know, that's a that's a stretch. So that's not in the. I don't think that's in the Hall of Fame either. Um. All right, last but one. Predators. Yeah, predator. Yeah. If it's people being hunted for sport. Predator is definitely like the apex mountain of that. But yeah, yeah you know, the Predator is a fucking alien. He's not like like collecting money from other people. Like, hey, I've got this technology. It's really awesome. Like, you basically, no. you're invisible and you can see like people's like, <laughs> you know, like heat leaving their body. I've got fucking like missile launchers you can put on your hands. Now, if they made a TV series uh, with the uh, two villains in this movie uh, and then crossed it over with Predator, I'd, I'd also be the Oh, my. Dude, Fox <laughs> and Universal need to get on the horn and make that happen. <laughs> Fushan and Pick versus the Predator in New Orleans. Oh, dude. <laughs> Maybe Make that would happen. be like a, like a season of it. They're just hunting this fucking alien. Yeah. They, they, it takes place right before, like the, the last season of that show takes place in L.A. right before the events of Predator 2. Excellent. Boom. Love it. <laughs> All right, last, uh, last question I got for you. Uh, movie mullets. I don't think it's uh, quite, no. I don't think it's quite up there. Although, as someone who whose hair now looks like your lawn after like three months of no rain, I'm envious of Van Damme's mullet in this. But no, um, I don't. I don't think it. No, I don't think so either. Like, but, there's plenty more movie mullets that are more famous. Uh, bonus question: Permed mullets? Because Van Damme's got a permed mullet. I would say yes. Yes, permed mullets for sure. But I don't know what the fuck's going on with that. Like, I don't know why he chose to perm that bad boy, but it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I, you know, I think that's one of the hairstyles that has never just uh, popped back on. You know, hairstyles tend to tend to circulate and and come back every now and then. That one has not. Yeah, I think the only two people, <laughs> the only two people have ever pulled off the curly mullet is Danny McBride as Kenny Powers in Eastbound and Down and Van Damme in Hard Target. The only two people that look yeah. like legit badasses with a curly mullet. 
Yeah. Everyone else just looks fucking ridiculous. Like, dude, come on. Everybody, like a... else, everybody else just needs to point their tits north and keep on going. That's right. You like a fucking clown, dude. <laughs> Hit up north. All right. Uh, before we go, Adam, you got any uh, last uh, comments on Hard Target? Uh, it's just a fun ride. Like I said, it's it, uh, if somebody decides to see this movie and uh, they start watching it and get kind of uh, taken out of the movie magic because they're like, oh, this would never happen, uh, stick with it because it's it's such a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that if you're just in the market for like – like you said, it's kind of like like a really good bad action movie. Yeah, definitely. And if you're on, like, even if you're interested in seeing something from Van Damme, if you're like on a Van Damme kick or you're being introduced to Jean Claude Van Damme for the first time, I would say pair this up with Bloodsport, and you're in for a nice three hour evening. Exactly. I think that um, uh, this is like. These kind of action movies are the precursor to the kind of cheesy action movies we get now, like the popcorn action movies, like um, uh, Mission Impossible has kind of stayed pretty similar to formula, but like uh, um, uh, Fast and Furious, if you're into that, those kinds of movies where cars can like, you know, uh, just fly through the air and defy physics and hit the ground without exploding into a million pieces then this is the kind of movie for you. Yeah, they don't really make action movies like this anymore. I mean, they kind of do. Yeah. It's the the video-on-demand stuff, but, like, theatrical-wise, you don't get, like, cool, like... All right, I'm just, like, I've got nothing to do on a, a Friday evening. I'm just going to go the, pick pick a fucking movie. Okay, this yeah. looks good. This has Van Damme in it. Boom. Done. Yeah. I think we're, we're away from that kind of movie-making now, or it's just, like, you... you pick a, a cool movie just because it looks cool. Um, like, a, we don't get movies that are $20 million budgets either. No, <laughs> that's true. Nothing theatrical. But, uh, yeah, you don't get, um, you know, cheap movies that um, are just a good time anymore. It's it's all big blockbuster things or attempts at big blockbuster Yeah, just IP. Now. It's like IP-driven stuff now. Yeah. But if you sitting at home looking for something to watch, give it a rent on Apple or Vudu, Amazon Prime, wherever you get your digital movies. Fuck, rent it from the library. I'm sure they've got a copy of it. I think they just came out with a 4K remaster of this one, too. Well, it looks like what I know what I'm buying. <laughs> if you actually buy a hard target, please let me know. I, that does not seem like a movie that you would own personally. <laughs> but if you do, like, you need to send me a picture of it. Like, hey, look what I bought. Suck on this. I got okay. the 4K version of Hard Target. Oh, I, I, I have 4K versions of a lot of movies you wouldn't think I have 4K versions of, but yeah. I've noticed as I've gotten older, I've become uh, less of a movie snob, and I've kind of gravitated more towards, I think this could be with old age. I've just kind of gravitated more towards shit. Like, I just shut my mind off and, like, just drift. Yeah. Like, I, I still appreciate, like, a, a really good directed film, but as I've said before, there's a difference between a film and a movie. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Um, hey, man, it's always fun talking to you about movies, man. I'm glad you're able to come on and do this. Uh, yeah, Hard Target, just turned 30 years old. 
do yourself a favor. Check it out. You can get it on Apple, Amazon, Voodoo, wherever you get digital movies. And you can listen to our show, which I think we're 108 episodes into now. You can check us out on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this right now. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify if you kind of dig what we're doing. Be sure to follow us. I will have our links to our social medias in the show description as well as promised the Steven Seagal reggae song at the very bottom of this. It's worth <laughs> listening to this episode just for that. So uh, thanks for checking us out. Appreciate you guys and gals. And until next week, we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>